Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. You've picked a really good day to join us. Whether you are in the room live, watching live from some exotic locale, like your living room, or watching on demand at some point in the future. Whenever and however you are here, God is ready to do something new in you, and maybe even through you. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. I have the privilege of leading an incredible team of people who love helping people grow. In fact, that's just what we do here at Dayspring. People grow here. So if you want to grow, you're in the right place. If you are visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that we are a come-as-you-are kind of church. No one here is perfect. In fact, all of us have messy lives. But through relationship with Jesus, we are experiencing healing and wholeness. We're working through our junk together, and there is always room for someone new. Even if you haven't bought into this whole Jesus thing yet, or are skeptical about church or the Bible, wherever you are, we'd love to meet you there and walk with you as you figure it out. We're all on a journey, and wherever you are on your journey, welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church by checking out our Facebook page or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your church home, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find study questions by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Now that we're starting to see some brighter, bluer skies this week aside, uh, don't be surprised if you see me enjoying the warmth on a, uh, of the sun on a run. Although, Debbie, if you are watching from Mississippi, don't hold your breath. That's a little further than I like to run. <laughs> I, I don't like to be cold, so during the winter, you'll never see me on a run outside. That's why God gave us treadmills. Yes, it's boring, but at least I'm dry and warm. <laughs> during the summer, it's just the opposite. I don't care how hot it is, I'm going to run in the sun. Last summer, I got an email from a Dayspringer who shall remain nameless because I don't want you to cheer him on. Um, during, <laughs> during the heat wave that we experienced, I was on a run when it was 99 degrees outside. Uh, he saw me and emailed me that I was his crazy pastor running when it was that hot. Uh, my response to him was, Jay, that, that 100 degrees would have been crazy, but 99 degrees was just right. Now, I don't know if this has happened to you or not when you are running, but every now and then, my hips get out of alignment. I can't feel it in the moment, but in the next few days, my knees start hurting, my back starts hurting, I, I start to feel my age. All those muscle groups are trying to compensate to make up for the misalignment of my hips. It isn't until I go see Ron, my medical doctor, or Richard, our friendly dayspring chiropractor, and they push, pull, prod, crush, torture, and maim me into alignment that things get better. If they weren't so good at their jobs, they would waste time trying to solve a knee problem or a back problem instead of a hip problem. But fortunately for me, they've learned to recognize the difference between the root problem and the presenting symptom and just get to the heart of the matter. 
my misalignment gets realigned, and I'm off and running once again. If you're just joining us for the first time today, last week we began a short series that we're calling Peaceless, Finding Peace in a Peaceless World. Is there really any question that our world is suffering from peacelessness? We see it all around us. News headlines keep the big peace stealers front and center 24-7. Wars and rumors of wars, political scrabbling, racial tensions, economic pressures, competing social agendas, all circumstances that kill peace. But even without the news, we'd know that we live in a peaceless world because we don't have to look any further than the experience of our own hearts to see signs of peacelessness. Yes, Overall, we're worried about the big peace killer, killers that we see in the news. Those things certainly contribute to peacelessness, but that's not what really steals our peace and keeps us up at night. What really kills our peace is far more personal. We have more than enough of our own fears and anxieties killing our peace without adding in global complexities. We worry about our finances. It kills our peace. Thinking about the the world our kids and grandkids are growing up in kills our peace. The strain in our relationships kills our peace. Our health or the health of our loved ones kills our peace. Uh, Those are some of the most obvious ones. But we want to go deeper than that. Insecurity. The fear that I am not enough kills our peace. The lack of margin kills our peace. Guilt, sin, addiction, shame, doubt, confusion, discontentment, greed, perfectionism, pain, faithlessness. Have I listed your Achilles heel yet? We all have something that has the capacity to kill our peace, even if it isn't rearing its ugly head in your life right this moment. If you don't think you do, then let me add pride to the list. As we learned last week, anything, even good things that are out of alignment with God's plans and purposes for your life can kill peace. And as we also learned last week, the world, our culture, tries to solve peacelessness from the outside in. That is, you take away the negative circumstance and voila, you have peace. No war equals peace. No conflict equals peace. Enough money equals peace. Peace is assumed in the presence of positive circumstances, which we know isn't true. On the other hand, Jesus came to solve our peace problem from the inside out. The first step in healing our peace problem is making peace with God which Jesus made possible on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin on our behalf before conquering death in the grave. When we believe in the work of Jesus and surrender our lives to his continued work in our lives, we make peace with God and then begin the journey of living in the peace of, of God. With, without the peace, peace with God, the peace of God is not possible. And that's because with the spirit of peace living inside us, we carry peace wherever we go with us, giving us the possibility of peace in every circumstance. And that's because biblical peace isn't about circumstances at all. Biblical peace or shalom is what happens in our inner person. Shalom is about who we are, not what we are going through. Shalom is completeness, 
that sense that we no longer have to strive after anything. It's a soundness of mind and body, a sense of inner strength. Shalom is the wholeness of being comfortable with who you are in your own skin. Shalom is contentment, freedom from the tyranny of disordered desires. It is a general sense of welfare, security and happiness and a mental and emotional quietness. And the more we align our lives with the plans and purposes of God, the more we activate that peace. And the more it overflows into the lives of others, making us peacefulness people. Make sense? The deeper our spiritual roots, the more we allow the Spirit to empower our lives, the more we live by faith, the more peace we have in every circumstance, good or bad, because peace is about who we are are in Christ Jesus. It's about our alignment with the plans and purposes of God for your life, which also means unless you have a chemical problem in your body that causes anxiety or some related issue, when the lack of peace or whatever, for whatever reason, uh, the lack of peace is a symptom of an alignment problem. If I am peaceless, if you are peaceless, then I am or you are out of alignment with the plans and purposes of God. Now, let me, let me see if I can make this make sense. Uh, let's start with something obvious. Let's say my peacelessness comes from sin in my life. I am in sin. I know I am in sin. And since I have the Holy Spirit in me calling me to repentance and holiness, I am peaceless. My lack of peace is a symptom of my root problem. Clearly, sin puts me out of alignment with God's plans and purposes for my life. The lack of peace is a signal from the Holy Spirit that I need repentance in order to come back into alignment. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 2.4 that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So in this case, peacelessness is the kindness of God with a purpose. Now, here's another one. <laughs> now, it dawned on me this week that it's been long enough now, and we have lots of new people, uh, so many of you haven't heard the story. I guess that's uh, for another day. The night our son was arrested for drug possession when he was in high school and put into juvenile detention by the police, Didi and I were without peace. We were understandably worried about Josh and his future. We had a fairly sleepless night, peaceless and out of alignment. Uh, that night, God reminded us of his promise in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. And in that moment, as he reminded us that he loves Josh far more than we ever could, and we could trust him with Josh, we began to come back into alignment, slowly but surely. It wasn't sin on our part in this case that killed our peace, but for a moment, we forgot something about God, about Josh, and about us. And we needed to be reminded of what is true, which led to realignment and peace. And for the record, in the year that followed, we had many, many, many opportunities to realign. <laughs> so what was it that we forgot, even if it was just for a moment? Turns out it was some pretty important stuff. So let's unpack three things that are true about God that we have a tendency to forget and two things that are true about us that we, are, that we have a tendency to forget. 
And what we forget or take for granted or don't know can take us out of alignment and kill our peace at the times we actually need it most. So to begin with, we forgot that God is sovereign. From, the, from beginning to end, the Bible affirms God's sovereignty. Uh, let's just take a quick survey of what it has to say. Uh, from the Old Testament, uh, 1 Chronicles 29, 11, and 12 tells us, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O, is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Uh, Job, a righteous man who lost everything dear to him in one fell swoop, and then his health in another, for what seems like no other reason than to illustrate the sovereignty of God, says this to God in Job 42, 2. I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. Now, even King David, the second king of Israel and author of many of the Psalms chimes in. Here's uh, Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there he rules over everything. And David's son Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, except for Jesus, of course, is probably the author of this from Proverbs 19.21. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. And then let's not forget the Apostle Paul. In his letter to the church in Ephesus, he writes, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Now, please note that it does not say that he makes some things work out according to his plan. He makes everything work out according to his plan. Everything. That means he has a plan for everything, which includes you and me. Now, Anytime you start talking about God's sovereignty as it relates to us, you have to consider what the Bible also teaches about our free will. Now, this is a tension that scholars have tried to resolve for 2,000 years. For the record, you could probably fill a library with the number of books that have been written debating just exactly how God's sovereignty intersects with man's free will. Let's all recognize that I am probably going to oversimplify this for the purposes of this message, which honestly is most likely good because scholars are pretty good at complexifying things. Uh, we know from Joshua way back in the Old Testament that we have the freedom to decide who we will serve, God or anything not God, which includes the freedom to obey or disobey God. Jesus says this in uh, John chapter 7, verse 17. Uh, he says that anyone who wants to, anyone who wants to, to do the will of God will, will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. Anyone who wants to means also that there can be anyone who doesn't wants to. But contrast that with what we just looked at in Ephesians 1.11. He chose us in advance. So he chose us, but we have free will. Yes, 
Both are true. Again, I know that this is an oversimplification, but maybe we could frame it like this. God is sovereign and his plans and purposes will prevail and no one can do anything about that. But we have the freedom to choose how we respond in any given moment. And being outside of time, his plans and purposes have already made allowances for our responses. For now, the bottom line is this, that God is God, he is large and in charge, and he has plans and purposes in which we play a role. And those plans and purposes dictate the circumstances we face in our lives. The second thing we often forget about God is that God is good. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. good. Again, God's goodness is laced throughout the, the words of Scripture. For the sake of time, let's just consider three statements from the psalmist, starting with Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Psalm 119, 68 puts it rather bluntly this way. You are good and do only good. Teach me your decrees. And then a few psalms back in Psalm 84, 11. For the Lord God is our sun and shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. God is good. Everything he does is good. Which means that our circumstances, seemingly good or seemingly bad, are allowed by God as part of his good for us. They are part of the best plan God could come up with to help you become like Jesus. It is also Definitely true that some of our circumstances come from our own making. We sin and suffer negative consequences or circumstances as a result. Or someone else sins and we are caught in the ripple effect of their sin. None of that changes the goodness of God. Again, his sovereignty has already made allowances for sin, ours and others. And the promise of his goodness is a promise lots of us have turned to throughout our lives, found in Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God is good working for the good of his people, even when we cannot see the good. Which brings us to the third thing that, we, uh, that is true about God that we tend to forget in times of peacelessness. And that is God has a plan for you. In the grand scheme of things, we all exist for the glory of God. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, For through him, that is through Christ... Uh, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world, which is really fascinating if you think about that. Everything was created through him and for him. We exist for the glory of God. One day, every person, Christ follower or not, will display the glory of God. Christ followers, because we are a testament at the 
very least, to his grace and mercy. On the other hand, those who reject Christ will demonstrate the glory of his justice and his holiness. But beyond the grand scheme of things, he actually has a plan for your life. Back in Ephesians, this time in chapter 2, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He has plans and purposes for your life. You are a part of his redemption and restoration plan for the world. You serve a purpose. Now you might be wondering what his plans and purposes are for you. I think every Christ follower has at some point in their lives and uh, has, has wondered that and probably does every time we reach a new transition point. But if you put all of what we've learned so far together, you don't have to worry about figuring it out. He will get you where he wants you. Proverbs 16, 9. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Listen, your sin won't get in his way since he's already made allowances for that as part of his plan. He never causes sin, but has already figured out how to use your sinfulness to get you to grow and get you where he wants you to be. Your weaknesses won't get in the way. Your qualifications or lack of them won't get in the way. You aren't powerful enough to throw him off his game. And when it feels like you're just waiting for him to make his move, wondering what's up, trust that there are no down moments. He doesn't waste anything. And the waiting is an important part of the process in fact, the one thing you absolutely know for certain is that those good things he planned for us, and this part is true for every Christ follower, includes that we become like Jesus. And you can use the waiting to build your character. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Colossians chapter 1. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Every moment is an opportunity to know God better and better. So to, so to sum up this one, God will accomplish his purposes in your life. God will accomplish his purposes in your life. And in his sovereignty, he has designed the best journey to accomplish those purposes, taking into account your free will and the choices that you will make, good and bad, along the way, as he makes you more and more like Jesus. But before we tie that back into peace, let's look at what we tend to forget is true about ourselves. First, you are loved. Now, I know we hear this all the time. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. God loves us. We know this is true. But let's be honest. We also don't believe this is true. Even John the disciple struggled with this. Why do you think he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved? It probably wasn't arrogance like, I've got a better relationship with Jesus than you do, Peter. It was more likely that it was because he couldn't believe that Jesus could love a sinner like him. 
I think almost universally that our understanding of love is so corrupted that we just don't get it. Most of us think that God loves the future version of ourselves when we've gotten our act together, finally. But when it comes to the me today, well, sure, he loves me, but he couldn't love me. I am too much of a failure day in and day out. I walk all over his grace. In the words of the Apostle Paul, I don't do what I want to do. I do do what I don't want to do, which makes me a bad representative of Jesus. So yes, he loves me, but he couldn't really love me. Sound familiar? I don't think I've ever, and I mean ever, had a conversation with a Christ follower at any level of maturity who could convince me that they believed at the depth of their being that God means it or anywhere close. Now, of course, the Bible is filled with verses that communicate this truth. But again, because we use the English word love so willy-nilly, we just don't get it. I love Didi. I love Diet Coke. But I also love cookies. I love music. I love Hawaii. Surely I don't love them all the same. So what does love really mean? Quiet in the peanut gallery. <laughs> when, it, when it comes to the love that God has for you, maybe this picture will help. We find it in the Old Testament prophecies of Zephaniah, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Now, in his love for you, God delights in you with gladness. The you, you are right this moment. In his love for you, he calms all your fears. In his love for you, he rejoices over you with joyful songs. In, in Hebrew, that last phrase communicates the idea of an exuberant dance. He exuberantly, energetically, wildly dances over you as he sings songs of joy. The you you are right this moment. You are loved that way. And it isn't a blind love. The second thing that is true about you that we tend to forget is that you are known. Psalm 139 begins with this familiar verse. You might want to read the whole chapter later on your own because it's just that good. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know everything. Really? <laughs> everything? I mean, I can think of about a thousand things off the top of my head that I wish he didn't know about me. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 is also a familiar verse to many of us. Less familiar is the verse that follows. Uh, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. The living word of God exposes everything. Our fears and doubts, our mixed motives, our disordered desires. 
hopefully there's some good in there too. Amen? Jeremiah 17.9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Well, apparently God can and does. And if that verse is true, then I don't even know my own heart because I lie to myself about my own wickedness. Let that one sink in. I think most of the time we gloss over what that really means about ourselves. And yet, he dances with joy as he sings over me. And yet there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet his grace is sufficient for me. His power is made perfect through my weakness. I am known. You are known. So let's, let's put this all together. I'm going to say this slowly in the hope that it will sink in better because it's a big statement. The God who loves you more than you could understand, who knows you better than you'll ever know yourself, knows exactly what it will take to make you like Jesus as he accomplishes his plans and purposes for your life. Out of that love and knowledge of you, he's leveraged his sovereignty, taking into account your strengths and weaknesses, your good choices and bad choices, as well as those of every person who will ever impact you. He's leveraged his sovereignty to bring himself the greatest glory through your life. Every circumstance, every circumstance is a part of his perfect plan for you. And even when it's hard, you are not alone. The spirit of peace lives in you. So why would we experience anything but peace? It all comes down to alignment. When your journey surfaces doubt that steals your peace, you just have to align your heart, mind, and soul to what is true. When your sin gets in the way of your peace, realign. When your bills overshadow your income, and steal your peace, realign. When your marriage is in a rocky place and you're afraid you're gonna lose it all, realign. When you're conflicted and confused, you are out of alignment and it's time to realign, to remember what is true. When your struggle for control kills your peace, simply realign. When your insecurity, that feeling that I am not enough, that that's what it is. If you take it to the deepest level, when your insecurity reels its, rears its ugly head, realign to what is true. You might have to do some work to figure out exactly what needs to be aligned. That's okay. Just don't trust your feelings. Your feelings will lie to you. They come from a deceitful heart. What we feel only matters when it is aligned or realigned with what is true. And the only place to find what is true, and there is more that's true than what we've covered today. This is just a start. But the only place to find what is true is in the Word of God. The peace of God is always found in alignment with God's plans and purposes for your life. So before we pray, where do you need to realign?
Let's pray. Just take a moment and think about your alignment. What would it take to come back into realignment? The Holy Spirit is in you. If you've got a relationship with Jesus, you've got the peacemaker in you pointing the way to peace. Yes, you might be in a, in a season of life where, where you've got peace. But you know what steals your peace. And that will come. Wouldn't it be better to realign before it comes? Father, thank you that you are a sovereign Lord. That all that we experience isn't just a a matter of chance. There would be no hope if that were true. But instead we know that we have a a God who is always good, who has plans and purposes that he will accomplish out of his great love for us. Thank you that we are known more than we could ever imagine. What freedom we can walk in when we realize that we don't have to hide from God because he already knows. Father, do your perfect work in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the study questions by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of people like you, people who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring. Your financial generosity is proof of God's work in your life. If you are just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Also. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you are using, maybe even rating us where that is appropriate. It is really encouraging to me when you share something that has impacted you through this service with someone else. Until we meet again, may the God of all peace give you peace at all times and in every situation.